there's a lot of pressure to to just grow, grow, grow. But it also can create unnatural pressures to do things that maybe the company isn't ready for. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today we have Rod Fuentes, who is the CEO of ListenLoop. ListenLoop does account-based marketing in a B2B advertising platform. I'm actually going to let Rod talk about what that actually means. Um, so Rod, how are you doing? Doing great. Full of energy. Uh, you know, ABM is definitely a hot space, has been since about uh, late 2015. And, uh, you know, I think we're at that point now where we're past the hype curve and people are getting down to business and, and really executing campaigns. That's been the trajectory we're seeing in the market over the last year. So, you know, you pretty much nailed it. Listen Loop is an account-based advertising software. And uh, we primarily help a B2B marketer who wants to go after a specific set of companies that they need to sell to. They will give us that list. They'll tell us what job titles they want to target. And they'll give us their ads. We'll put those into the system. You'll tell us what marketing budget you, know, you want to put towards this per month. And our software does the job of placing ads directly on those target companies on the job titles that you selected as they browse the web. New York Times, USA Today, as they're looking at their news or et cetera, you're going to start hitting them with your ads. So that's what we're about. And you know, we're, right now, I, I feel like we're just harvesting a lot of the pent-up demand in the market for a tool like this. Well, before we dive into the tool a little more, I mean, I want to get a little insight into, you know, your background and, you know, what's your background and how do you get, how did you get to, to where you are now? Yeah, my background is all over the place, man. Uh, I'm an electrical engineer uh, from Yale 2006. And then uh, straight from there, I went to Columbia Law School, uh, focused on patent litigation, IP rights. And I practiced law for almost three years at a law firm called Fish and Richardson number one IP firm in the U.S. And, uh, you know, through that experience, really, you know, learned that I really loved the law, very intellectually stimulating. But I found myself, myself being more curious about my clients' business problems and, and their, their, their sales and their marketing side of the house. Um, so when a friend of mine you know, kept kind of nagging at me to join him and his startup for the course of about a year and a half while at the law firm, I, uh, I eventually just had to do it. It was, it was something that was kind of now or never, and, and I was already being you know, so curious about it while I was at the firm. So that's what really prompted me to, to jump two feet into the, the MarTech space. That was about five or six years ago. And, um, and, and man, I never looked back. It's, uh, it's a really exciting time to be in MarTech. You know, the, there's a lot of stats out there about how the CMO is going to be outspending the CIO, um, and, and you definitely feel it in the market. Uh, I'm 33. Wow, so young. Okay, so let's, let's look at this, right? So let's back up a second. So we did electrical engineer at Yale, and then you said uh, practice or uh, learn how to become a lawyer at, uh, you said Columbia? Yep. Okay, so super smart guy, and then now you're running this, this crazy company right now. I've looked at some of the investors, some great investors uh, as well. So I, I think one question that automatically pops up is, you know, what's your process for learning? How do you go about learning, you know, all this new stuff, right? Because electrical engineer completely 
different from, you know, law? What a great question. No one's ever asked me that. What's my process for learning? Hmm. You know, I personally, I'm a, I'm a very visual learner. For me, uh, learning from audio listening is really hard. And so if you ever see me in a meeting, I'm usually furiously taking down notes uh, of everything that I'm hearing, almost a verbatim copy or transcription of everything I'm hearing. And it has to do with being able to look at what I'm hearing because uh, if I just hear it and and don't process it visually, uh, it just for me it, it just goes kind of one in ear, you know, in one ear out the other. So that's that's kind of very basic building block for me. Visual is is very important. Um, lately, I have found myself really drawn to um, courses on Udemy, for instance, or you know these like learning video learning platforms because they're visual and audio, and I could I could learn on my commute times in between work. So, you know, the kinds of things I'll learn on these, on these platforms are marketing stacks, learn how to do MailChimp hacks, outreach hacks, uh, Pardot, Marketo, HubSpot hacks, you know, the way different people are using the platforms. Those are all different ways that, that I'm constantly learning to, to kind of stay up with the technology that's, that, that people are using, that our clients are using. Um, so that's, that's a big part of it. And, and personally, Looking back at my law school days and, and even back in electrical engineering days, I wish there had been more of that, right? Because yeah, sitting in a lecture um, with a professor kind of telling you via audio, right, in-person audio, is, uh, was really hard, right? And uh, it's, it's very interesting that the new generation of, of learners, right, people who are in middle school, high school now, might have a very different experience than, than what maybe you and I had. Uh, coming into these educational fields. Totally. Yeah, you know, I've heard something, this is sidetracking a little bit, but, um, you know, there's there's some parents that I know that are sending their kids to, I think they're called STEM programs. I don't know too much about them, but it's basically like you drop them in and like they go through project-based learning instead of just, hey, this is how it is and like, you know, take a test and that's it. But, you know, I, I think that's particularly compelling because I think I would have excelled at that. I'm not particularly interested in like sitting through a, a college uh, or a you know, college lecture hall where it's like hundreds of students. As a matter of fact, you know, I slugged my way through college, but I just always hated it. But anyway, um, mm. so let, let's talk about, you know, the company too. So you, you, I think you gave like some, some kind of practical examples, but maybe there's a case study you can share where a company used Listen Loop and then they saw some amazing results. Is there anything that comes top of mind right now? Yeah. I mean, the, the one that comes top of mind is the most recent one is a company called Engageo. They're, um, they're, they're led by John Miller, who's, you know, some call him the grandfather of account-based marketing. He was an early co-founder of, uh, of Marketo. And, uh, yeah, so, um, so Charlie Liang there is, uh, was, is the director of marketing and, and he used Listen Loop to combine and supplement their marketing activities with advertising to specific lists of target accounts. For them, you know, the, the results were, were pretty interesting. What they were able to show is let me back up what, what their their process and methodology was to expose a list of accounts to account-based marketing activities and then have a correlated group of sorry not correlated a uh, a, a similar cohort of accounts not exposed to their account-based marketing activities and then they further broke that down into not just account-based activities but the individual activities that they were running so advertising versus direct mail versus you know the other parts of their play that they were running and, and they saw some really interesting numbers around increased engagement of the target accounts when, when these accounts were exposed to ads. So, for example, 
um, accounts that were exposed to account-based marketing activities overall and were not exposed to ads had a 22% increase in web traffic engagement. So that's pretty good, right? Just doing an account-based marketing approach, period, is producing more web traffic. That's great. But then when you added advertising on top of your account-based activities, they were seeing a 43% increase in web traffic engagement from their target accounts, right? Same for uh, engagement for via net new visitors, uh, similar types of improvements. Uh, without ads, 8% increase with just account-based activities versus 47% increase if you were to layer in ads. And so these are, these are early indicators of success for an account-based program because at the end of the day, you know, an account-based program has to do with engagement. You know, it, it, the way a large corporation buys software nowadays or, or any large uh, product is through a committee, essentially, of multiple stakeholders. And if you're not engaging them, then you're not going to be able to sell to them. They need to be involved with that process. And by the way, we should now, probably no, back up a second. The um, so I'm sure some people are probably wondering, going through this podcast, what is account-based marketing? So maybe you can elaborate that on that a little bit. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, you know, a, a year ago, I would always make a point to make sure we were defining account-based marketing precisely for that reason. But um, account-based marketing is a strategy, right? It's not an individual tool. It's not a thing. It's a strategy that a sales and marketing team will use uh, to influence and close a specific set of accounts. So this is, this is unlike maybe your gen- general inbound marketing where you're putting messaging out there, attracting visitors with content, getting them into the funnel with a form submit, and then email marketing to them across the, the life cycle of their, their buyer journey. So to precisely define it, account-based marketing is a strategy whereby, number one, sales and marketing teams are aligned on, number two, a specific list of accounts that they want to go after. Number three, you're using one or more communication channels to reach out to those accounts. And number four, you're measuring results of your campaign at the account level as opposed to the individual lead or contact level. So that's how we think of defining account-based marketing or an account-based strategy. And, And, you know, a lot of companies are who are doing this well are seeing incredible results as a, re, a, a it, you know as a result of implementing their ABM campaign. So when you say account based uh, when you say at the account level versus the individual lead level you mean account could be at the company level right so a couple of people at Microsoft versus just one person at Microsoft. That's correct. And and here's why. I mean this is I think this example really sums it up in a nutshell. The the new paradigm for people downloading content, reviewing content is is the following pattern. When the CIO of Microsoft wants to explore some new technology that may be relevant to Microsoft, do you think the CIO is out there browsing the web and maybe individually you know, downloading all these white papers and attending these webinars? No. The CIO is crazy busy. Right? Everyone's nipping at his heels for his time or her time, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cluster. right? So what they're doing is that they're, they're delegating that task to people on their team to do the research, to go out and download those white papers and those e-books and, and learn more and, and differentiate all the different vendors in the field for whatever software they're looking at, right? And then that information is trickled, it's shared, it's socialized internally in a little committee, or you can imagine them all sitting around in a conference room, and a decision is reached over time, right? So if you were to measure your campaign and said, hey, we're targeting so-and-so, the CIO of Microsoft, 
oh, bummer, they never downloaded a form. Geez, I guess the campaign didn't work. That's foolish because the campaign may be working, but if you measure the results at the account level, Microsoft, oh, interesting, the director of IT actually downloaded an ebook, and the, the, the manager of IT was looking at this, attended this webinar, right? Now you're getting a more holistic picture about what the account is doing, multiple leads at a given account. And, and you get an idea of how much the account is engaging as opposed to an individual person who may not have direct kind of last-click attribution engagement with your, your marketing. Got it. Okay. So let's, let's use a practical example. I mean, you know, let's say, uh, you know, we, let's continue with the Microsoft example. The sales team comes to the marketing team. They have a bunch of, you know, maybe a, a list of emails of people they want to target. Is that how it works? Uh, effectively, yes, you could start with that. A list of emails. You would strip out the uh, the domains, so you have uh, the company domains of the accounts you want to target, and then and then from there to orchestrate an account based strategy. Um, yeah, let me back up. Are you are you talking about I'm talking coming about up with account based strategy? Oh, you're talking about listen loop. Okay, specifically. So if you have a list of emails, you want to get the domains of the target accounts, and preferably you want to get the specific location of where those contacts will sit. So Listen Loop does a lot of work on targeting your, your, your specific contacts and accounts in specific locations, right? Because Microsoft, continuing that example, they've got dozens of locations around the world, right? Lots of offices. If you know that you're going after the CIO, well, are they sitting in Seattle or are they sitting in Dallas? Where are they? If you knew that, you could target your ads even more accurately at the set of contacts you want to get after. So that's something we recommend that your list include. Um, most people have this information in their CRM already. When they create a contact in their CRM, it's got the person's email address, the website of, of the company where they work, and an address. So for most people, this is already, you know, it's already in their data set. You t- so you take that list, you throw it into Listen Loop, you give us your ads, you put a budget in, and you're off to the races. Great. And the ads that people are creating, are they targeted towards that specific company? Is that how it's generally, is that how the conversion rates go up or is it something else? So the, the ads aren't generally targeted specifically to a company. Um, Listen Loop does have a feature called pre-roll personalization where we will add an animation on top of your ads that will specifically include the logo of the companies that you're targeting in an effort to create personalization and more of a connection with the viewer. But, but generally speaking, let's say the last 50 campaigns that clients have run through the Listen Loop system, the, the, the best practice and most common thing we're seeing is some type of ads that are segmented to the list of companies they're going after or segmented to the buyer persona that they're going after. So a concrete example is this. Let's say you're Engageo, maybe, and you're targeting marketers, right? Well, you can imagine they might have two different buyer personas. One buyer persona might be a marketer and uh, maybe like a VP of marketing type. And another buyer persona might be a VP of salesperson, right? So that being the case, you can imagine them creating two different sets of ads. One ad that has messaging that resonates with the marketer and another set of ads that resonate with the salesperson and each have individual pain points that they're trying to address. That's one example. Now, the other example is to segment across industries or companies. So if you have a list of, let's say, 1,000 accounts and 500 are in finance and 500 are brick-and-mortar locations, uh, maybe like retail brick-and-mortar locations, then, again, you could imagine segmenting your messaging, your ads, so that they speak to the, the, the buyers that are receiving this content. 
Got it. And I can see some people probably thinking, you know, in the audience right now. So, you know, how is this different than, let's say, if we use Facebook as an example, we upload uh, all the emails as a custom audience and then we make, you know, we can make ads tailored to you know that specific audience. How is Listen Loop different from that besides the personalization point? That's it. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, number one, we recommend that you do that anyway, uh, because we're using a different channel, right? When people are in Facebook, that's a different mentality. So when you hit them with ads there, that actually represents something different. When you use LinkedIn to do something similar, you know, you're hitting them when they're in the sponsored update feed, right? When you're using Listen Loop, you're hitting them when they're on the website, an ad-supported publisher site like USA Today, New York Times, et cetera. So number one, number one, if you have the budget and you have the capability and resources, I'd say do all three. Now, if you have to pick one or the other, the relative differences are these. When you, when you use a CRM retargeting tool, like you've described, i.e. upload a list of email contacts into, a, into an audience creator, what you're really doing is you're relying on, let's say, Facebook, for instance, to have a cookie on file for a given email address, right? Now, typically, the way that these companies and Facebook does this is that when you log into Facebook, you're typing in, let's say, my, mine is, you know, jrf at gmail.com. And a cookie is being dropped on me when that happens. And that cookie is then being associated to my email address, and it's being renewed every time I log in from my mobile phone, from my desktop, and, and that's how they have that cookie on file. So now, if you were to target a CRM audience that includes jrf at gmail.com, that'll hit their database. They'll say, oh, yep, we've got a match. That's, that's, that's Rod. Go ahead and start sending them ads because we have, uh, we have an advertising cookie on them. So here's the problem. That all sounds awesome. It works really great if you're in B to C, business to consumer marketing. Works fantastic. I mean, like the match rates are 90% plus. I've heard, I've heard some providers claim 97% match rates. But here's the rub. If you're in B to B, the match rates can suffer. Um, you know, I've heard, I've heard match rates of 25 to 35%, depending on your segment, in B to B. And that, that tends to make sense, right? Because I mean, are you using your business address to log into Facebook? I mean, are you, are you even using your business address when you created your LinkedIn account how many years ago? No. So, like, that's part of the problem, right? Not a lot of people are using their business email addresses for transactions online. And, and so the coverage is naturally lower. So, you know, that's, that's something that the industry is, is constantly trying to, to address because it's clear everyone wants that capability. And I think today, the closest you can get, the, the probably kind of best match rates you can get for CRM retargeting is probably the LinkedIn system, right? Because there, at least, you can kind of visualize, okay, some people are using their email, their business email to log in. Uh, some people are, are kind of including secondary, tertiary email addresses for their companies in their LinkedIn account. So you could start seeing a, a case for that there. Got it. Okay. And for you guys, I mean, so is, is, it, is it basically like 100% or I mean, what does it look like? Cause, um, I, I guess, how are you bypassing all, all of this? Mm-hmm. So for us, the difference is that we're not using a, a one-to-one cookie match when we're advertising to a specific uh, account. Instead, we're using a, a method that we came up with, uh, which we call a triangulation method. Essentially, what we do is we take first-party data that we're, we've been collecting for three and a half year, years. We take third-party data that we license from providers like Blue Kai, uh, uh, Lotomi, Bombora, et cetera, lots of different audience providers out there. And, and we also take geolocation data. 
So then we overlap these different data sources on top of each other. We take uh, job title audiences, we take firmographic industry audiences, we take geolocations. We overlap all these different data sources on top of each other and create a model for what is a tiny area of overlap between job titles, accounts, locations that represents, uh, let's say, a B2B VP of marketing at Oracle in Boston, right? And then that's how we're able to deliver ads. So we're, we're doing an inference, a statistical inference, that it is a given person at a given account at a given location. And with that, we're able to generate 70% match rates in North America. And then uh, across all the campaigns that we've run, I think the match rate is about 62% when you factor in some of the international campaigns in the system. So everyone else, you know, I've purposely asked a lot of specific questions uh, so everyone can kind of, you know, I think this is a massive opportunity right now. I think the fact that many marketers are talking about it. Uh, or not many are talking about it. Uh, that's even more of a reason to explore it. So uh, I guess another question for you would be, you know, what does pricing look like for this stuff? For, for, for you guys in general or Listen Loop in particular? Listen Loop. So Listen Loop's pricing is $99 a month. That includes targeting for 100 accounts that you want to go after. And we only count accounts that have received impressions. So, you know, we're, we're really friendly to just get in there, get started. You know, I think the, the market right now is in an exploratory phase. Everyone wants to try it. it. Everyone's very hesitant to sign up for a one, two-year contract, right? And uh, and with good reason. It's it's a new, it's not a new tactic, but the tools that are helping people de- deploy the tactic are new, like Listen Loop and others. And so people want to have that feeling of, hey, I want to dip my toes in, feel the waters warm, and then I'll jump in. So we're very we're very friendly to that. Um, once you're targeting hundreds or possibly thousands of accounts, then you start getting volume-based pricing where, you know, if you're, I think, I think, uh, targeting a thousand accounts is 59 cents per account. Um, so, you know, that's, that's how you can kind of dip your toes in, get into it, run a campaign, maybe three, 400 accounts, see that it's performing for you and, and then, you know, scale up, scale down as you need to. And what's working for you today in terms of customer acquisition? I guess what's the most, the one most effective thing? I'll, I'll keep it even simpler. The most effective thing for us is, I mean, I, I'm sure I sound biased, but uh, it, it's account-based uh, marketing. You know, we, we go after specific sets of clients using a, a mix of channels. Um, every quarter, we put together a list of target accounts, and, and, and our, our sequence is, is basically the following. One, we start with ads probably about one month in advance of, two, an email campaign directed at specific contacts from top to bottom, from the manager to the director to the VP to the CMO. And then we follow up with phone calls on people who've opened up our emails at least three times. And then for the people we've had connections with and or email replies from, we'll follow up with some direct mail, usually a postcard or a book uh, that's relevant to their space as a, as a thank you, as a follow-up. And then the last piece of it is, you know, wherever we can, we try to meet these people at events, you know, Marketo Marketing Summit, uh, the Salesforce Dreamforce, uh, the HubSpot uh, conference. So a lot of our users are are hanging out at these conferences. That's, that's how are you managing this, so, this whole process? Is it it isn't all through Listen Loop, right? I mean, how are you managing? I mean, you're meeting them in person, you're sending them postcards and things like that. Yep, yep. Uh, just a lot of for, for me, for us, we're a small company, right? We're 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 you know six employees. And for us, we're managing it through through Google Spreadsheet. Yeah, just coordinating all these different pieces of it in terms of the direct mail, the this and that and the other. Um, the email marketing piece, uh, we use outreach to manage that aspect of it. 
and the phone calls also go through through uh, outreach. The advertising, of course, is happening through Listen Loop, um, and and the events. You know, the events are, are the piece. The direct mail and the events are the pieces that we're using uh, Google Spreadsheets to to kind of manage that, make sure that those are being sent out to whom, etc. So, next question I have for you is around the struggles growing this business. I mean, you know, what's one big struggle you faced? I think the the, the biggest struggle we faced the at the very earliest, you know, when we first began the business was making sure you had product market fit. You know, three, four years ago, I I feel like I was still a a young entrepreneur, not in terms of my age, but in terms of my years of experience in in entrepreneurship. And and if you follow along the the culture of entrepreneurship and startups, there is there's a lot of pressure to to just grow, grow, grow. And and that is definitely good, right? Your audience will resonate with that. Everyone feels it. That is a positive part of, of the startup mentality. But it also can create unnatural pressures to do things that maybe the company isn't ready for. So a concrete example for us is, um, I think it was maybe 2014. And we I, I felt at the time that we had to make two independent bets and both of them were going to have to pay off in order for us to be, you know, wildly successful. This is a different product back then. And, um, and those two independent bets were these. One, we had to prove we had product market fit in our metrics in order to attract more investment and not run out of money. And two, we had to generate enough sales in order to show investors that this was wildly successful, moonshot, rocket ship, you know, you got to invest now or, 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 or you're going to fear on missing out. And I think if, if you have, it, you know, if you have all the time in the world and all the resources in the world, then the sequence you would use, the proper sequence you, w- you would use is to build the product, measure retention, measure engagement, measure usage, demonstrate that it's providing value to the end user, the client, demonstrate that they freaking love the product that, you know, to use the kind of Sean Ellis metric of product market fit, you know, if you were to, yeah, 40%, you tell them like, hey, we're going to go away. And if 40% are, are crying about it, then awesome. You're, you're on the right path, right? And then, then you hire up salespeople. You start just selling the heck out of the product and, and marketing and you just go, you know, all out. And, and then you have those sales metrics in place. Then you go out to the markets and you show this to investors and they shower money on you. I guess a question would be, you know, to, when you talk about the product market fit, I mean, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're doing you know, a lot of customer development in that, in that phase, aren't you? Because you, you have like, well, I guess the question would be, you know, how many customers did you have at that time when, and then when you ran that survey, you're like, okay, let's go ahead and go all in, right? Because I'm assuming at that time you don't have many customers, right? Yeah. Yeah. You always suffer from a low sample size problem at the early stages of a startup. No doubt. Unless you're doing, you know, free users and that's a whole other ballgame. But, you know, I think at the point, the, at the time when I'm kind of having this memory of, I think we maybe had 30 or 40 clients, which is, is probably just above okay in terms of sample size, right? Like central limit theorem says 30 sample size is, is just about good to draw some kind of statistical uh, inference. So it was it was right around that number. But the the point of the story that I want to kind of you know nail down is that is the correct path to do it. Very few people have the opportunity to do the correct path, right? Because there's tons of other pressures impacting your decisions, such as hey, we're going to run out of money. You know, we don't have infinite resources and infinite time to do this in. We've got 
eight months. We've got eight months to figure out product market fit, and that's because we need four more months to sell the hell out of it, and then we need to show the, the metrics that we need to have, right? And so that pressure to grow and to show product market fit it c- can create decisions where we were faced with having to, to do two things at the same time. We had to sell the heck out of the product, and we had to basically you know, have a leap of faith that the product we were then building had product market fit de facto. And if it doesn't, then we're dead, right? And so that's, you know, that's, that's tough because at that time in 2014, I'd say we were wrong, right? Looking back on it, we, we sold the product and it didn't have that 40% number. It, you know, 40% of people were not very disappointed when we told them, hey, we're going to have to tuck this away. And yeah, there's a small customer base. This is a feedback software. It, it used to collect feedback inside of a product, inside of a software product. And, um, and that's, that's, that's a really tough pill to swallow. That's really hard to do, to, to force yourself to make those two independent bets, right? To, to sell it and to assume you have product market fit. And, uh, and, you know, growth, the pressures of growth and the pressures of limited time and resources will, will do that. 100%, man. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, final question from my side. What's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? Must read. I think everyone's already read it, though, so I don't know if that's going to be very useful. I, I think everyone absolutely needs to read The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. I mean, that book is just a treasure trove of advice and, and, uh, and future wisdom that, you know, I, I'm sure I have not used all the wisdom that's in there yet, but it, it's in there. You know, it's like a field book for, for uh, the trench warfare that, that startup founders find themselves in. I think it's time for a reread just because I, I think you saying that somehow like sparked some, some kind of reaction where it's like you should reread it now. So I, I might just take it off my bookshelf um, and do that. <laughs> but um, Rod, this has been great. I, everyone should check out Listen Loop, FYI. But uh, Rod, what's the best way for people to find you online? Listenloop.com. And my email is rod at listenloop.com. Um, you, know, you can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and uh, you know I always love chatting with with other entrepreneurs, founders, and marketers. So you know, if you want to start a conversation online via LinkedIn, we can uh, trade some some tips, some advice. We'll always love answering questions from the community. Appreciate it. Thanks for doing this, Rod. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.